0: Podcast I like best. Well, my favorite podcast is "Sometimes Dead Is Better." Dead is better. Sometimes dead is better. With Chris and
1: Kristen. All right, hello, and welcome to "Sometimes Dead Is Better," a podcast with me, Kristen,
2: and me, Chris.
1: And this is our first episode. We are trying to figure it out.
2: We're very excited.
1: We are very excited. We have been friends for a very long time.
2: Almost 20 years. Is that possible? No, no. 15 years. No. Really? <laughs> yeah.
1: Like 18 years.
2: No. All right, let's move past this. Okay.
1: We met at Barnes & Noble.
2: The bookstore. Which
1: is a magical place yeah. where I also met my husband and our other close friend. And
2: pretty much your entire circle of friends comes from Barnes & Noble.
1: But so so Chris and I have always had a shared love of horror movies. We actually were roommates for a little while. And we realized that our favorite thing was pretty much sitting around drinking and watching mainly horror movies.
2: I feel yeah, that's true.
1: I remember we watched Schindler's List on one time <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day one time. Is that that true? was fun. Uh-huh. Did
2: we do that? Okay. Yeah. Everybody
1: else went out and we were like, nah, we're going to stay home and watch Schindler's. <laughs> Which List. is a
2: horror movie. That's true. Most of our films are horror movies. We sneak in the occasional uh, you know, Michael Clayton every now and then, but we don't make it the whole way through.
1: <laughs> okay, so we have been wanting to do this podcast for about a year or so. I think I remember we came out of a horror movie and I just it clicked. I said, no, I want to do this. Do you You remember
2: what that movie was? I
1: think it was, remember the one, um, it had, um, Charlie from girls in it and they come at night. They come at night. Oh
2: yeah. it that at night. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We have a lot to say about that. That'd be a good one for the podcast. Um, and we decided that very day for some reason. And I think it's coming back to me that our very first movie.
1: Well, it was, it was actually, it was more like, it was like a sitcom almost. We were like, What's our first horror movie gonna be? And we were just like, let's say it together. <laughs> and we were like, finger guns, like, ready?
2: Then so we left in the air. And yes, freeze-frame. A freeze-frame. Yeah, a freeze frame. Exactly. And it was a
1: pet cemetery. Pet cemetery. And I don't know why, but that.
2: I think we know why. I think pet cemetery was the one one of the first movies we watched as a horror movie together. Uh, meet you and a mutual friend of ours, Amy, who may be a guest at some point. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, just an epic night. It was a, a blast. It was, uh, I mean, if you could rec- record that viewing session, it would <laughs> just go down to infamy. Um, and I think both of us always remember that. And also Pet Cemetery is from the 80s. It's '89. It's from our childhood. It's, um, it's, you know, it sort of lives large in both our memories and it occupies a certain place in film history, horror history. So it was kind of perfect. We can't just start with, like, you know, it comes at night. Okay. Or it comes at yeah. night. <laughs>
1: Well, so let's just start by introducing ourselves because we want people to feel welcome here and want to listen to us and watch these movies with us. So, uh, so my name's Kristen and I live in Atlanta. I have, I'm a stay at home mom with two kids. I also have an Etsy site where I make like pop culture embroideries.
2: Would you like to give your um, oh, Etsy sign? I, I guess.
1: <laughs> it's Stitchin Kristen, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N.
2: I don't suppose you have a Twitter account, do you?
1: Oh, yeah. I got all of it, like, 68 followers, man. At Kristen56. More I knew, I use Instagram more, which is Stitchin' Kristen, yeah. I think.
2: And do you sell these items? <laughs>
1: I do. And I ship them right to you. Um, this is
2: not what this podcast is about, but if you feel so inclined, it could be what it's about. <laughs>
1: and then I also am a, a stand-up comic in Atlanta
2: a very good one. Oh, thank you do you have an account for that or is it the same account it's just
1: the same account oh, interesting. I think I wrote on there like I can't have more than one account because I don't have enough followers but since so and then so we're gonna say like what our first scary movie was or what our how we got into horror
2: yeah so I think and again this is Chris I live in Birmingham uh, Kristen is actually visiting me in uh, Birmingham or I guess Helena Alabama at my new home but it, it should be uh, important to note that we're both in our 30s, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in my late 30s. She's in her mid-30s, um, just being generous. Um, <laughs> but so we came of age during a certain time, you know, and that is the 80s, early 90s. And uh, so for me, uh, you know, horror was like a huge thing. And I was thinking about this today and how to introduce this. And, you know, in, in my mind, what is so cool about horror movies, especially being a kid in the 80s, and 90s, is that it was sort of this sort of, forbidden thing like the idea of watching a horror movie like it's not something you just passively watch especially back then it's you know it's something you sort of experienced and like kind of i got through like you overcame it and then you went talk to your friends about how you saw the horror movie yeah yeah you know, meaning that you sort of survived it mm-hmm. and then of course it was lame it didn't matter but most horror movies you know that you saw you wouldn't really talk about how lame they were you just saw that hey i saw you know like friday 13 part 8 and how awesome it was and like and other people hadn't seen that just all they knew was a horror movie and it's like something you did like you went rock climbing Right. (laughs) versus if you just saw like you know Raiders of Lost Ark yeah everyone saw that it was cool but a horror movie that's probably a bad example because it scared me too okay well (laughs) E.T. okay okay my sister
1: was really scared of (laughs) (laughs) E.T.
2: are you gonna down all my examples Uh. So when I was a kid, there was a long time where I was not allowed to watch horror movies and I was not interested in watching horror movies and all I heard about was how terrifying they were and like, why would you ever want to do that? And what looms large in my mind was specifically Pet Cemetery as being the scariest movie that just ever existed. Hmm. So I would go to the video store. Oh,
1: the video store. Yes. yes.
2: Which, uh, should we talk about video stores, kids? <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, kids, gather around. We're Kristen gonna... will explain
2: video stores. <laughs>
1: It was like walking into Netflix. Like if you could step into your TV, is that what it was like? Yeah. And you could walk around and see it.
2: But you're always lost.
1: (laughs) But the thing about the horror movie section is that you could see the front cover. Yeah, and you could read about it. And you could pick it up. And and I always wanted to rent Chopping Mall, which I was never allowed to rent, of course. Do you remember the cover of that?
2: Are you saying Chopping with a C? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know that one.
1: So the cover was like a brown paper bag with like blood dripping out of it and like body parts in it.
2: Sounds amazing.
1: I never got to see it. We have to, we all have to watch it. Okay. Chopping Mall. I always wanted to watch. Of course, um, what's the one with the with the monster in the toilet?
2: What video store are you at? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is it?
1: Oh no, what did I walk into? You know, you know what I'm talking about.
2: The monster in the toilet. <laughs> yes, yeah, the monster. Of course, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not a thing. The
1: monster coming out of the toilet. What was it?
2: I have no, I honestly, have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I have a memory, like uh, in Alabaster, where I grew up. We had a, we, didn't, we had a video stores, and we also had drug stores. So I used to always go to the drug store, which had a video rental spinner thing. Right. Which yeah, I mean, I I'm that. blowing young kids' minds right now. And on the video spinner, they always had specifically one horror movie, and it was Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Mm. But I young to know what Roman, Roman numerals were. So I remember asking an adult, I would pick up the, the card and just hold up the nearest adult, like a random stranger, and say, what is this? What number is this? And someone told me that's Friday the 13th part five. And I said, what does that mean? And I looked on the back, and the back cover Friday the 13th part five, and I remember this, is just Jason with a machete, swinging into someone's neck,
1: that's on the back cover. Yeah, it's
2: just a machete through someone's neck. And I was terrified and I didn't understand how that was like a film. So that's kinda of like my earliest introduction to horror movies. Which is, <laughs>
1: Who did you grab?
2: I, literally like a
1: like a pharmacist? Like you're no, grabbing was, his it coat?
2: It was a customer. It was a customer. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, yeah. Uh, just I just wanna know like you know you asked like, you know, parents like what what like what does that sign say? My, oh, mine right. was, What is Friday's 13th. What part? does the pet
1: cemetery sign say? Right, is right.
2: That... Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um so for the longest time, I didn't watch horror movies because of things like that. Just being aware of them, knowing they were like scary, knowing adults didn't like them, but and knowing other kids that had seen Pet Cemetery specifically, said they were so terrifying you can't even deal with it.
1: Right. Well, that's, um, that's how I was too. I was very scared of them. I was scared of a lot of things. I was especially scared of the scary stories to tell in the dark books. I remember that very specifically. My mom had to write scriptures out and put them on my bedroom wall because I was so scared at night. Wait, what? She would write out Bible scriptures and put them on my wall because I was scared at night all the time.
2: What would the Bible scriptures say? I don't remember. Because <laughs> Bible scriptures can be scary. Into, into Well, them. they
1: were the good ones. They weren't like <laughs> the revelations. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I told her I was terrified, so she wrote out revelations about how I was going to Seven fall. The
2: seal Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, so I had um, two really big... These aren't scary movies, but this is real fear that I felt. And one of them was going back to Indiana Jones. It was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes. And I could not watch the part when they pulled the guy's heart out. Oh,
2: you couldn't watch that part as a young child?
1: I liked the other parts. I liked whenever they like had like the... The brain soup and the eyeball soup. Uh, yeah, absolutely. that was yeah, fine. Yeah. What What uh, well, What was the scariest part in that?
2: I mean, I'm making fun of you. The scariest part is absolutely the oh, ripping oh, okay. the person's okay. heart out. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes. And, and that.
2: But that's another interesting thing. Is like you know, I would avoid horror movies, title horror movies, but so much of what '80s movies were in general usually were just kind of horrific. Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom is much scarier than your average horror movie today. You yeah. Know?
1: Well, I remember like so. You know, you know that new movie, The House with the Clock in. Yeah that's directed by eli roth did you know that
2: i did yeah probably you well, you told me but
1: <laughs> oh and i told you that steven spielberg was like telling him to make I it didn't, really scary I didn't know that. I didn't know oh that. so steven spielberg was like apparently telling him to make it really scary because kids should be scared they're not scared anymore. yeah
2: well yeah that's the thing most of the kids movies you know like et like you said is scary i mean most movies are scary but there's a difference between the idea of a horror movie but there's a certain irony to it because most movies anyway are kind of scary
1: well then the second one that was the worst was Pee Wee Herman's Greatest Adventure. Why? What's the scariest part in that movie?
2: The Martha? What's her Large name? Mark. Large Martha. <laughs> Why was that
0: scary? It was though? the
1: scariest thing in the whole world. So this is what would happen. Every time it would come on, I would find an excuse to leave the room during that part. But my brother caught on. And so one time when I left the room to go sit on the stairs until it was over, he said, it's over. And I came back. And he had paused it on the screen of just her face
2: we should probably explain what large marge is because <laughs> <laughs> i like i know in my subconscious just saying that large marge was scary but i don't remember why it was scary
1: okay so she's like telling the scary story at night she's in a truck in a truck right she's driving peewee and she turns to him and tells him a story and then her face like explodes like if you look at it now it looks like claymation
2: right 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 okay i mean it kind of like a beetlejuice thing yes okay i will say now that i think about it and this reminds me of that the first horror movie i probably ever saw was actually a michael jackson's thriller
1: oh that's a good yeah that's that's scary when i couldn't I, watch that when well I was... yeah
2: when i remember i was four years old and i was in my we had an apartment in birmingham and my sister who was much older than me she was a teenager at the time um so 15 or 16. She was watching MTV like all the Live Long Day Mm -hmm. and Thriller would come on and I remember at least knowing who Michael Jackson was and kind of liking that, but that video obviously scared the absolute living shit out of me. And so what I would do was I would run to my bedroom and I would tell my sister to turn on the vacuum so I wouldn't hear it, the video. Not turn off the TV. On the vacuum so I wouldn't hear the TV. So she would actually do that, which thought was kind of quite kind. That is nice. Yeah, but the video was like 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So she would do the same thing. She'd say, Hey, come back back, And then I come back, and there's like zombies. Dancing. <laughs> so, but that that was probably the first horror movie I'd ever seen. Um, yeah. But I think we should acknowledge before that, the first real horror movie uh, was The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Which I saw around the same time as Thriller. It was in my Babysitter's house in that mm-hmm. same apartment complex. Uh, I remember saying, What the fuck is this? And my parents whisked me out of the room. <laughs> <gasps> uh, but that that that's uh but that's another example of, you know, a movie that is shown to kids that's not ostensibly a horror movie, but is in fact a horror movie. Yeah. But anyway this podcast is about quote unquote horror movies, not you know kids movies disguised as horror movies so that's kind of we're going to limit ourselves to
1: yeah well and then also i liked the the aspect of like i love horror movies but i also love true crime what we're going to kind of do is instead of just like talking about a horror movie we're going to try and make it a little more interesting and then so i'm going to try to tie a true crime and it can be like so it's not going to be like exactly it may be amityville horror and then we talk about the Amityville horror, the actual murder, but that, but maybe it's going to be a little more like, like with this, this, the first one we decided the one I chose is not a direct influence on the movie, but it's something that I think about that I think somehow ties into it. Cause there's so many crazy things that happen in real life.
2: Sometimes true is better.
1: <laughs> What's that? What is that from? Oh, oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the title of our fucking podcast. Huh?
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So but, but we're just starting with talking about, you know, us where the horror came from. So that's why we're starting by talking about movies that we watched when we were kids.
2: There's always this idea of what other kids are talking about. It's scary. And there's three things. So it's Friday 13th, there's Nightmare on Elm Street, and for some reason, Pet Cemetery.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> those are like the three big things. And we can get into that later. And I think the first two things are simply because there's like 10 of those movies at the time. And so I was always scared to watch those. And then I finally watched those and I found them not very scary, but I love them all the, all the same. And, uh, and so Pet Cemetery is the whole other story. All right, welcome back. Um, we're about to get into the movie um, proper. But first of all, what are we drinking tonight?
1: Oh, well, Chris, we are drinking a 2015 King. <laughs> do you get it? I do get it. Oh, okay. Uh, Malbec. Awesome. If that's how you say it. I think so. Um, I don't know. From Mendoza, Argentina. Awesome region. You don't know, do you?
2: I don't know. <laughs>
1: no. We just fucking picked up a up Publix earlier. We did. It just fits with our theme, right?
2: Publix. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Pub- I have, you know what's weird? I bet a lot of people listening to this don't know what Publix is. I
2: was just thinking that. Publix is a supermarket in the southeast region of America. So, Pet Cemetery, <laughs> uh, 1989, uh, directed by Mary Lambert. Who is a female. That's right. Did you know that? I did. (laughs) As far as I know, this is pretty rare for 1989. And in fact, it's rare today, I would imagine. We know it's rare because there's actually controversy like today about it on Twitter Mm -hmm. with a movie producer. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know Jason Blum. Blum blum apparently i don't know (laughs) (laughs) you know well i I can't pronounce his name um you know but he is a huge producer he does all these real efficient uh they're kind of low budget movies but they all make you know millions and millions of dollars blumhouse blumhouse productions i think he's doing the newest like shy malon movies like for instance well
1: he's doing halloween
2: he did halloween Mm -hmm. okay i didn't know that Well, anyway, he usually spends like $5 million and makes $300 million on these movies. So he's kind of like, um, he's respected in Hollywood and he's uh, in charge of pretty much the entire horror renaissance these days. Anyway, he said something fairly insensitive this week about there being no female horror directors or none to choose from or none to, I'm not really sure. And it caused quite an outcry, I suppose. (laughs) We noticed it. Um, But it kind of brings to mind, yes, I mean, this is a thing, Uh, females, uh, women, as they're called. Uh, are not uh, these days doing horror movies or really directing many, many movies at all, I Well, suppose. they're not
1: given the opportunity. Given
2: the opportunity, yes. Right. It's not like they're just, you know, avoiding them. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but, you know, 1989, Mary Lambert, you know, kudos. Uh, I don't know if she's really doing anything today, but it seems like Jason Blum could have, you know, called her.
1: Yeah, what's she doing? We
2: Google her. She looks like, you know, she's about 50, maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. She looks like she's active, rested. <laughs> but, you know, she has uh, quite a history. This is, I think her first or second movie. Before that, what did she do?
1: Mostly really cool music videos. She worked primarily with Madonna.
2: Which is awesome.
1: Janet Jackson. Awesome. The Go Go's.
2: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> a lot of females.
1: Yes, a lot of females. Is female,
2: uh, that sounds like science, like like calling someone like homosexual or something like <laughs> is that. It sounds bad. Women. Oh, female? Yeah. I don't oh. know. I think it's OK. It sounds weird when I say it. Yeah. So she's a video director, which, you know, back in the 80s, you kids. Nowadays, videos go straight to YouTube. And I guess people watch them. I don't know. But they used to be a big deal on MTV, as they called it, music television. That's the same way like David Fincher got started.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Who else?
1: Michelle Gondry. Michelle
2: Gondry. Much later. Um, so, you know, that's that's a, a good starting point, I guess. We it's, don't...
1: it's just a, yeah, it's just a strange It's a little strange.
2: Shift. Yeah, a little strange. The Horror Begins. What was that? (laughs) Oh, it's Gage. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know what that was. Well, it's coming from inside the house. All right.
1: But so what? We, we don't know why she was chosen, right? No,
2: we don't. I I, it's, it's, I mean, it's
1: really great that she was and I yeah. wish it would have been something that back in 1989 was a catalyst for this. But instead, it's 2018 and we're still talking about why there aren't women being chosen to direct horror movies. Right. We, we yeah. retweeted a AV Club article listing a bunch of great female horror movie directors who Jason Bloom should maybe.
2: Yeah, and they did not. Blum. Just liked her, strangely enough. thought she did a great job with this movie. I think she injected a little bit of feminist energy into the movie. Yeah, Most people don't cite Pet Sematary as a feminist text.
1: But we will get into yeah, it. Yeah,
2: we'll get into it. So,
1: and the screenplay was written by Stephen King. It was. Adapted from his own novel. Yes. Did he write any other of his movies, do you know?
2: I know it's rare for him to write a screenplay, being a huge fan. I think he's written a few. Well, some of his... I don't know if you count his miniseries as movies, but... like I yeah. Yeah, okay. So he did like The Stand... So uh, I'm not sure what else he's written. It, you know, it's it's definitely a rarity they did that. I'm curious why he chose this of all of his books to adapt, because typically he doesn't really give a shit. <laughs> um, from what I understand, people buy his rights and he's kind of go where you will with it.
1: Well, so you're a huge Stephen King fan. Yes. What was your first Stephen King introduction?
2: Uh, The first Stephen King book I read was in uh, seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. And it was not one of his, I guess, normal novels. It was called The Eyes of the Dragon, which if you're a Stephen King fan, you know, is like a book he wrote for his daughter. It's very sweet. Oh, I mean, it's a horror novel, <laughs> but it's, you know, written where, like, a young person can read it. There's not, like, cursing. There's, strangely enough, some sex.
0: <laughs> really? Um, yeah.
2: And then there's, like, you know, people get their heads cut up with stuff. You know, so I, I guess today it'd it would probably be marked as a young adult novel. You know, mm. sort of Harry Potter thing. I really liked it. It was kind of scary, but not too much. I think it even came from the School Scholastic Readers. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. Yeah, Those are awesome. Elise so. still gets those. Yes, she really? Yes. Um, Who's Elise? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Elise is my daughter. Awesome. She still brings them home, the, their paper, and she circles what she wants. It's really great. Do
2: they still do, do the weekly reader? Do you remember the weekly reader?
1: Yes, I do. They No, they don't do that.
2: Okay, well, they used to always we have be to save
1: th- some paper, I guess. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> Pet Cemetery was not in this scholastic <laughs> reader, but I believe I went to my local library and just got Pet Cemetery next. Really liking it, kind of recognizing it was my first adult book. I mean, that sounds dirty, but but like you know, not a non-kids book. Yeah, Uh, probably not understanding half of it because it's a lot about sex, adult relationships. What sex? Is, is well, I don't think there's any sex in the movie. I mean, right. there's not. I mean, no. <laughs> well, in the book, they have a pretty fully fleshed relationship, and they, in the book, there's actually chapters written from Rachel's point of view. Oh, that's um, so interesting. At least the last half of the book because yes. he's gone crazy.
1: That's one I still haven't read, so I took your copy.
2: Okay, good. I wonder how many kids read Stephen King like I did, and that was probably the first time they were like exposed to sex, <laughs> yeah, in any real way. So great. <laughs> so anyway, that was all kind of wrapped up in it. a very adult book. But one thing I did notice about it, and, and having heard that it was a scariest movie just of all time, is that the book is fairly, you know, slow. People are not being killed. There's no one being stabbed. Right. When I thought about horror novels, I just imagined, like, some sort of novelization of, like, Friday the 13th or something, where like every page someone's getting, you know, the throat slit or something. I guess this is what I thought horror was, slash movies. Right. And this was not that. It's you know an adult novel. There's no major violence that happens probably until, you know, the last hundred pages or so. Mm-hmm. And then it's all just, you know, craziness. But then I read his other books, which are much more fast paced. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, The Shining, I think, was the one I read for that. And then it was just, that was, that was insane.
1: That so. one still scares me. That's the one, remember, in Friends, Joey has to put in the freezer. Yes. Because it's so yes,
2: scary. Yes. And Pet Cemetery, I will say, I read later as an adult in my 20s. 20s. it was scarier then because I understood more of it. Yeah. It's all about death, mortality, all these adult choices with dead <laughs> kids, you know. Okay.
1: So now we're going to start with the opening scene, and it is a…
2: All-time classic.
1: <laughs> no, what's the opening scene?
2: It's a cemetery, a pet cemetery. It's a
1: pet cemetery. We see it right away.
2: Okay, so pet cemetery is a sign. Mm-hmm. Is that how they introduced the movie? Like, instead of having a title?
1: Did they have a title?
2: That's no. what I'm asking. I
1: don't remember. We don't.
2: Well, there's no way we'll ever find out.
1: We'll never know. <laughs>
2: okay. But anyway, we see a pet cemetery. It is the scariest goddamn cemetery ever.
1: <laughs> but it's apparently made by kids.
2: For pets? Yes. In the woods. Have you ever seen a pet cemetery?
1: Well, we had a pet cemetery in our backyard. Where? In Mississippi. We went through a lot of animals. <laughs> like, I guess, I don't know if it was just. Those trucks. Our... <laughs> Yes, all of our hamsters and our gerbils and our rabbits just kept getting out in the road. <laughs> it was a, it was just a disaster. But we did have we did have a lot of those type animals, maybe a cat. We had a little graveyard back there for them. What did it look like? Little um, signs made from popsicle sticks and stuff. Oh. We had to be careful that our dog didn't go and dig them up. Right. That would have been traumatic.
2: Did you ever bury anybody there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to knock over all these beer bottles. Of course, I never buried anybody there.
2: Well, I've never seen a pet cemetery. I've seen a single pet grave and it was my friend where he buried his cat but it was in the woods and it was super creepy I didn't know pet cemeteries were a thing I still kind of doubt your story <laughs> Um,
1: but I mean, a communal pet cemetery? No.
2: That's crazy. It's clearly crazy. Ours
1: was just pets that we ran through.
2: I mean, how'd they even get started? Come on over. You know, like, we just, like, get it to your neighbors. Like, we got one cat back here. Right. Do you have any dead <laughs> Did
1: it Bring out your dead. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, it doesn't seem uh, like a thing, but sure. Oh, and, you know, honestly, uh, I, I guess we could talk about this a little bit. I read the introduction to Pet Cemetery where Stephen King talks about the inspiration behind the book. Mm-hmm. is crazy. There is so much more truth to the book, or at least, you know, obviously the non supernatural parts, than you would think. Stephen King, when he was in his early, I don't know, thirties, was teaching at the University of Maine. This is he he had written Carrie, but that was about it. And so he's doing some sort of guest teachership thing. <laughs> right in residence is what it's called. Okay. So they rented a house, he and his wife and his three young kids who just imagine they look like the kids in Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And they rented houses on a busy highway and across the highway was not a house, but it was a gas station. And that gas station lived an old kindly man who would make comments like, you know, don't let your pets run to the road; that'll they'll eat you up. There's a goddamn pet cemetery behind his house. No way. Yes, a real one. So as to sit here and talk about it not being a thing. Apparently they had one behind his house. They explored it. It looked kind of like the one. Well, it probably not, but it had the same cute slogans and oh. writings on the crosses and whatnot. The Smoky, he was an obedient cat. That was his cat. He had a young girl. Her cat got run over by a truck. They went and buried it there. She had this whole um, hysterical fit about God can't have my cat, I want my cat, which is in the movie in the book. And then there is one scene. At one point, he, his young boy was running out. They were flying a fucking they were flying a kite. Are you serious? Yes, they're having a picnic, and the kid kind of ran towards the road. And there's a truck coming. And but Stephen King like tackled him. He didn't get anywhere near the road, but it was enough for the, the wheels to start turning. Sure. So he started. So that's
1: what I would think. Hmm. What if my kid did get hit? Right.
2: And I buried him in a pet yes. cemetery. <laughs> So he started writing Pet Cemetery* based on all that. And he actually wrote it in the gas station across the street because he didn't have like an office in the house. So I'm just imagining like a 1982 or whatever, customers shopping for their Sprites and Cokes and Stephen King's like typing away in the back. (laughs) And you know they're like, What's that guy doing? And like, Oh, he's riding past cemetery, leave it alone and Don't bind him. Right.
1: And so then we get to the next big scene, which is the Creeds pulling up to their new farmhouse. Lewis is the new small town doctor.
2: At the college. At the
1: college, yes. yes. Rachel, who is the wife, has not seen this house.
2: Yeah, he's taken her to the house uh, sight unseen. You know, a very ominous moment early on is when she gets out of the car and the music absolutely swells. It's the biggest musical cue in the whole movie, and it seems to be all predicated on whether she's going <laughs> to like the house right. or not. But she does. She loves it. Uh, the music swells again. And she
1: smiles real big. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, everything's good. Yeah, and, you know, and it's mm-hmm. odd that the director made that choice to make that the most suspenseful scene in the movie. <laughs>
1: Well, so then we see little Ellie Creed.
2: Ellie, okay. yes,
1: and she runs to the tire swing, and we first see the path.
2: Yes, the path. And little
1: Ellie yells something M- about
2: "Mommy, Daddy, what's that?" Yeah, whatever. And she falls in that goddamn tire. Right.
1: Then also we see little Gage, Gage who is yeah. their baby. They're getting him out.
2: Gage, we should say, is um the cutest baby that's ever oh my existed. Gosh. Yeah,
1: so cute. They
2: probably should have picked a really ugly, unlikable baby, given what happens. Yeah. But no, they he right in the juggler.
1: Yes. Not that ugly babies shouldn't be loved. As I mean much.
2: not as much listen you know. <laughs> okay yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah they immediately notice these huge trucks going down the road, right?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, they're uh, whizzing by.
1: And they leave Little Gage.
2: Yeah, he's just kind of sitting there. Well, I guess they let him out and let him wander around a little bit. And he keeps um, going
1: right towards the road. He gets too close, but then he's whisked up by who?
2: Judd Crandall. Am I saying that right? I think so. Yeah. Herman Monster himself, played by Fred Gwynn, picks him up, uh, says some unintelligible garbage, <laughs> you know, in his main accent. The family's very relieved and so they bond. And I guess that's kind of you know, why they click. You know, it doesn't the relationship <laughs> Doesn't really make sense other than he's their neighbor. Yeah, it does
1: but seem to move very quickly. It's pretty
2: forced. I believe in the book; it makes a lot more sense. There's a lot more drama.
1: Someone asks again, "Where's that path go?" Yeah,
2: no. Yeah, Rachel says, "Hey, stranger, do you know where that path goes?"
1: And then he, there's a very ominous.
2: He's a little coy.
1: I'll tell you later.
2: Yeah. I think the audience, uh, having seen the title of the movie, can probably guess what's down there.
1: Right. We we saw the opening credits.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We already saw that. Do we see the path leading to it though? I don't think so. So yeah, it could be. It
1: could be anywhere. <laughs>
2: it could be a mystery. Yeah. It Could be a Jungle uh, gym.
1: <laughs> I think that's an odd question too. Like, where's that path go?
2: Yeah. Not. I mean, wh- I would
1: assume that just a path you go walk on in the woods.
2: Yeah. But no, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's just good, me. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know. Where's that path go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I mean, you have like a walking path around your yeah. your new house. I just
2: walk around my neighbors. Where's that path <laughs> go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> they don't tell
2: me though well, so they say they'll cut, tell me later so
1: then it cuts <laughs> to that night where they're all getting tucked in we see Church the cat
2: yes Church is short for uh, Winston Churchill
1: and um, she he excuse me it's very rude of me <laughs> they cut from a scene the cat fucking tucked in with a little girl cats don't do that they don't get tucked in they, Mine sleep, yeah. they sleep on your head they sleep on your feet they scratch at your door to get in and out but anyway we see we cl- we all go from that scene to Rachel closing the door, to the next thing is Lewis outside in the dark, looking down in the path again. And then all of a sudden Church jumps out of the tree.
2: Yeah. I think it's it's a, what they call a goof.
1: Or is there always already something wrong with that cat, maybe?
2: It could be, it could be. He
1: does that a lot.
2: Yeah, he knows
1: that he likes to jump out.
2: Yeah, they like the old cat jumping out from things, trope yeah. in this movie. Could it be the window is open too.
1: Well, and then so Lewis sees Judd Crandall across the yeah. way. And he goes over would you I would never would go meet a new neighbor like that
2: yeah that that gave me some anxiety. I just moved into a new home uh, I've met zero of my neighbors yes. well, no, I've met one she moved in the other day she's a, a retiree, I love her already We're gonna be best friends, but right. generally no they, I, I you know I'm sweating right now just thinking about
1: yes, it yes me too like
2: yeah, and I this is a flaw in my character. I'm not saying like no, yes, okay, yes, kind of bad. neither
1: one of us would do that <laughs>
2: He did save the kid's life, so I yeah, guess it kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. He offered uh, Mr. Monster—I'm just going to call him Mr. Monster because yes. I can't remember his name—offers him a beer, instantly sort of emasculates him by uh, suggesting he may want a glass. Right. Um, Lewis correctly guesses that he's not supposed to have a glass right. ever. <laughs> and uh, I believe uh, Mr. Monster, you know, does his main thing and says something like, you know, good boy or something.
1: Yeah, it was very odd. It's uh, like, uh, well— know,
2: I... No homo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> glass is nice, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, glasses... I mean, I guess they were drinking, like, Bud Light or something, so it really doesn't matter. I mean, it does make the beer taste better. Fuck you, Mr. (laughs) Monster.
0: Hello
1: there. Kristen here. Thank you so much for listening. We want to invite you to come join our Facebook group. Sometimes groups are better. There are a lot of cool people in there. We talk about the movies Chris and I review... New horror movies coming out, true crime, pop culture—it's really fun. We would also be so grateful if you would go on iTunes and subscribe and rate and review, or subscribe on whatever podcasting app you use. It really helps us to be seen by more awesome people like you, and we want to continue to build this great community. Also, follow us on Instagram at Sometimes Dead Podcasts. We'll post pictures of the drinks we're drinking or pictures of the true crimes we're doing. While you're there, follow Gabby Watts, who does our amazing theme song. Follow her band at Gabby Rots, G A B B I E R O T T S. And remember, sometimes dead is better. All right, so the next scene is we get to our favorite part. Who do we get to meet?
2: Oh, God. We meet Missy.
1: Missy the maid.
2: Sweet, sweet Missy.
1: She's the best suicidal comic relief there is.
2: (laughs) Spoiler. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Well, she, she, yeah, she's suicidal. She may not carry through. What do we have to say about Missy?
1: She is very odd.
2: Who is Missy? We haven't really explained it. The maid? (laughs) Yeah, she's the maid. I don't believe she exists in the book. Again, I'm I'm just going to keep saying I'm not going to talk about the book and then clearly talk about the book. But she seems to be invented for the screenplay. So Stephen King invented her. He wrote the thing. She's very main. Yes, she's got that... That accent yeah what does she sound like
1: <laughs> my stomach pains me some <laughs>
2: right she has a, a no of... one asked yeah oh well, i think she said how are you oh
1: okay <laughs> she did ask her yeah. then well so rachel is at. she's leaving and she's right. saying how are you and she yeah.
2: she and asked she... if she could work on monday it's very rude
1: like yeah. just do your own laundry <laughs>
2: right yeah it's unclear why they need a maid i don't know if rachel works
1: yeah, they don't, they don't say. Well, she she does. very professional. Yeah,
2: yeah. she wears his power suits. She probably works. They don't say what she does.
1: I bet she had a really good job in Chicago. Yes. She had to leave it. Yeah, yeah she And now can. she's at home, yeah, and she she's a, not sure what to do yeah, yet. She has a
2: fierce haircut. I mean, yes. it's, yeah. She, yeah. But I, she,
1: I bet that she's trying to, like, get her firm off the ground. Right. In Maine now.
2: Yeah. Or She something. does have two small, small children, though. Mm-hmm. So it could be that she's taking some time off. Not Rachel. Okay, right. And that's actually an interesting thing to me, the movie at least is a lot of the there's a bit of a gender switch in a way because a lot of the parenting in the movie seems to be done or at least focused on by the the dad he's the one that has to have all those you know parenting conversations Rachel's kind of slightly hands off as far as like you know talking about death that's true (laughs) I guess that's you know Maybe people just don't like to do that. And, and we'll talk more about that later.
1: But yeah, so Missy kind of gives her a hard time about having a husband Hus- and a husband that's a doctor, about how she has none of those. And I'll see you on Monday. Rachel just stops and just like, okay, then.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's literally a character that has blood gushing out of his head all the time. No one's as bothered by him as are by Missy. Right. <laughs> uh, we love Missy, though. and. I think we clapped every time she appeared on screen. Yeah. She is just a joy.
1: Well next part is we get to the actual pet cemetery. Judd takes them down that path.
2: You know, as a treat. That's what's back there, that pet cemetery. Lewis hasn't seen it yet. He doesn't know how goddamn creepy it is. He probably he may think it's like your pet cemetery. You know the fake one. Right. So they get there, the pet cemetery, the kids Rachel
1: seems upset about it. She doesn't like the idea of the kids learning about death.
2: I think I'd be upset if that was like the surprise.
1: Yeah, I guess I would too. But Ellie seems like cool about it. She's like, hey, this one's a goldfish. You know, she's reading the little things. And I really don't like when Judd tries to mansplain to Rachel about how her kids need to learn about death. Like, mind your, how long have we known you? yeah. I did not go share a beer with you. Do not tell me how to raise my kids. I
2: don't know what you call it. There's a scene where Rachel kind of is visibly upset and the husband and Mr. Monster just look at each other like women. Yes.
1: (laughs) Again, they had one beer together. I'm team Rachel all the way. Me too. The Pet Cemetery, in and of itself is what Judd says, a place of rest. That's all it is. There's nothing supernatural about the pet cemetery.
2: Yeah, I also thinking about it too. It's weird that it's even called Pet Cemetery yeah. because nothing actually, the pet cemetery is fine. Like
1: burial ground was not as... It's a
2: whole other thing. And I think people mistakenly say the pet cemetery is buried on Indian burial ground. That's not true at all. No. It's nowhere near the Indian burial ground. They have to go miles and miles to get yeah. to the Indian burial ground.
1: Right. Okay, so then uh, the next morning there's some tension between Rachel and Lewis. Because they're talking about death again. And they have to take church in to get fixed. And so she's trying to make him not shilly-shally,
0: <laughs> right. which
1: I've never heard that term before in my life. And I don't I...
2: know if it's a Maine thing, a Stephen King thing. It could be
1: Maine. They're from Chicago.
2: Right. So it's not a Chicago thing.
1: So I don't know. But it's, it's could it wonderful. be a
2: Denise Crosby thing?
1: <laughs> yes. That's what it is. <laughs>
2: Yes, yeah, but so, so don't that, that's Shelly. their first sort of. It's a big fight.
1: She's trying to make him promise Ellie that church will be okay. Yes, she, which is kind of odd because he's he's a doctor and he knows maybe it won't be.
2: It's as if they're introducing a theme of the movie early on mm-hmm. and following up with it later. So Mr. Uh, Lewis gets a little mad.
1: I find Lewis really hot when he gets mad.
2: Really? Yeah,
1: he looks. This is kind like, of like
2: when Anakin goes dark thing. He's hot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Might be it.
2: Um, he's. He, I think he's hot.
1: He's really good look. He looks so young. Did he's you know like, he played he,
2: Elvis? And what? yeah, when I was a kid, I Googled this today. I was on fire on Google. Um, but <laughs> when I was a kid, there's a mini series called Elvis and Me. it was the first time I knew or heard of Elvis Presley. And that was him. That He was he played Elvis. It's wow. it about him marrying you know, a 14-year-old. Does he sing?
1: Like his own song? I don't
2: remember. I, don't, I barely remember it existing.
1: <laughs> That's such a great sound, isn't it? That is it? a great sound. Well, and then we also get another wonderful treat of Missy.
2: Missy's back.
1: She's coming to bring the laundry. Yeah. She tells him... It's
2: unclear. Is this the Monday she's working? Is it Monday now? It
1: must be Monday. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. She's bringing back the laundry. She's pissed. For some reason, like Mr. Lewis... I don't know why we're calling him Mr. Lewis, but... Mr. Creed. Mr. Creed... Lewis. ...offers to look at her stomach pains.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, she he asks if there's anything that pains her some. <laughs> and <laughs> she says, Yeah, my stomach... <laughs> And uh, you know he's a doctor, and he asks you know to check her out, and he, she's like, absolutely not. So that's a little strange. I think we kind of learn later why uh, you know she does have cancer. Well, she writes in her suicide yeah, note yeah. later, right. I have cancer, <laughs> which I'm not sure who she's telling because right. no one shows up at her goddamn funeral. But <laughs> well, I mean, oh, that's
1: true. They, who finds her?
2: I don't know. Well, we'll get to Stephen that.
1: Stephen. <laughs> oh no. So Lewis is going to be the new doctor of, of the college. What's yes. You said is a thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I had a doctor. I don't... Yeah, ecologists have doctors.
1: Think of what is a college doctor you're going to see, like STDs, hangovers. What's he going to do? Give you fluids? But no. Day one, yeah. what does he see?
2: Instant fatality. Yes. <laughs> uh, just horrific accident. It's not, I mean, I, I'm i still not really sure what happens, but I think well, over here. Well, I was listening
1: to it on the headphones and I heard someone say a, a truck hit him.
2: Okay, oh, something hit him, yeah. So
1: they're keeping with that. They sure are keeping with that theme.
2: Oh, you know, I never even thought about that. He probably got killed right outside their house. He was going to meet the new doctor. <laughs>
1: So they bring him in. He's,
2: yeah, he, I think he, you point out man. it doesn't look like he worked on him very well. No. But I think there's maybe a strange, like, edits where, you know, it, I'm not I, sure. But I
1: also don't, they didn't pack, he didn't pack the wound. No, I and mean, he's still I, just I've oozing watched, blood. I've watched 15 years of Grey's Anatomy, yeah. and I think I could have done a better job than he did.
2: Yeah, well, he was a goner. DOA, as you say. All um, right,
1: I guess that's true. Um, but then, so the one of the creepiest parts happens. Victor kind of uh, wakes back up after he thinks he's dead. He spits blood on him says some scary words.
2: Yeah, he says, um, the soil of a man's heart is stonier, which, as far as scary words go, is pretty, you know, that's pretty abstract.
1: <laughs> and then he dies.
2: Yeah, he dies. He dies. All
1: right, so let's get into this. You have a better take on this from reading the book. But so it seems to me that this didn't really bother him. He was just like, ah, shucks, lost him. He doesn't seem to take it home with him Well, I mean, anything. he has
2: a nightmare that very night about him. That the, In the next scene, like he wakes, he has a nightmare and like he walks, walks him through the pit cemetery.
1: So, you know, in Hannibal... Yes. In the first episode of Hannibal, Will Graham finds the serial killer, Garrett Jacob Hobbs. If you haven't seen Hannibal, that's what happens in the first episode, but I didn't spoil anything for you. Please go watch it. Will Graham killing Garrett Jacob Hobbs haunts him for the rest of the series, and he Garrett Jacob Hobbs appears as a ghost all the way through, through season three. You, you really feel the weight of that on Will Graham. And so that is, I'm I'm assuming, what we're supposed to be feeling for Lewis. Yeah,
2: I I, I get that. Yeah, it's not really clear that, you know, it looks just like a gory accent and then the next scene happens. but. I imagine that, yeah, the idea is, I suppose, that he's very traumatized by it. Um, he feels like he should have saved him. I'm not sure any of this is ever said. I couldn't save you well, or there, something. There
1: well, was, there was some weird thing. That, well, the guy's name is Victor Pascal. Yes. We learn. We hear his name a lot. We see his file that he just <laughs> chucks in the garbage. Yeah, he's <laughs> dead now. Yep. <laughs> I don't think we'll need that for insurance <laughs> liability. Sometimes
2: dead same? is better. <laughs> <laughs> either way, I suppose the next scene, or maybe this very scene close to it is, Mr. Creed has a nightmare. <laughs> We're very formal with the Creeds, aren't we? we except Rachel. We would call Rachel. But.
1: Well, she's our best friend.
2: Yeah, best friend. Has a, a nightmare. I guess it's a nightmare where um, Victor Pascal escorts him from his bed. He's wearing a scrubs, interestingly, uh, down the uh, path to the Pet cemetery and gives him some sort of strange warning about what?
1: Don't go there.
2: Yeah. Well, don't go past the deadfall.
1: Yes, which he shouldn't have told him about anyway. Just,
2: yeah, yeah. Just he, don't say anything. Should have warned Gage, Don't go on the fucking road.
1: Or told Judd, don't tell him about it.
2: Yeah, but see, you know, uh, you know, there's no link. Let's with keep Judd. this between us. Right. Right.
1: Oh yeah, I guess that's true.
2: Judd doesn't know who he is. Judd probably sees dead people like every night. Right. <laughs> he gives him the warning. He kind of there's this weird thing where he floats up. I, I don't know. It seems unnecessary. <laughs> um, <laughs> we get it. He's a ghost. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Lewis uh, wakes up. as Rachel's downstairs cooking eggs. Uh, I think she actually said, "Do you want some eggs?" So that's how I knew that. Uh, and then he uh, pulls across his. Uh, he's like, "Yes." He pulls up his bed clothes, and what does he see?
1: Dirty feet.
2: And it's kind of shocking. I mean, I'm always made fun of that scene, but every time I see it, I go. Ugh. <laughs>
1: All right, so then it's Thanksgiving all of a sudden.
2: Yeah, and, I, they, they, and they show the passage of time by literally showing the passage of time. They sh- leaves changing color. Ellie is changing her Halloween decorations to other type of decorations. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cute. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I did.
1: Oh, and Lewis gets a sweet deal. He gets to stay home.
2: He's wearing a Make America great hat. Something. Yeah, it's a red hat. It looks like a maggot hat. It's well, annoying. Yes. There's that some super awesome. unexplained bad blood between him and Mr. Father-in-law, I suppose. Mr. Father-in-law? Yeah.
1: We're so formal.
2: Yeah, we are. Well, you know, due respect.
1: And so Rachel takes the kids. Yeah. They go to Chicago. Lewis gets to stay home. And then, like, as soon as they leave... Within
2: minutes. Chad
1: <laughs> calls and it's like, dead cat over here. <laughs> right. Dead cat over here. I think it's church. And so he goes over there, and sure enough, there's church.
2: Yeah, he's, uh, he's frozen to the leaves. He looks like he's been dead for several days. He's very upset, obviously. He says, this is going to crush my child. I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> I'm going to throw him in the garage for a few days. It's a lot of weird <laughs> shit. He doesn't know how to react. Um, and so Mr. Monster says, well, you know, I have a good idea. Um, you know, follow me and bring a shovel." <laughs> so they go Again, to... Again, doesn't tell him. No, he doesn't tell him what's he going to do, although...
1: They go past the pet cemetery. Yeah. where, which, where he was told. Well, they that go to the
2: pet cemetery and you think, Well, they'll probably stop oh, there since it's a pet cemetery. Right. I mean and that you know makes sense. That's probably where he thought where he thought it was going. Sure. And then he immediately ignores the advice he was just given by a ghost. By Victor Pascal. And he, he goes over that thing, the deadfall. You know, he goes, don't go over the deadfall or whatever he says. He
1: even falls down the deadfall. Yes. He falls down and he still goes. He climbs yeah. back up.
2: And it seems like maybe he kind of remembers the dream because there's all these spooky noises and he looks unsettled. Maybe mm-hmm. he just doesn't remember. Either. I don't really remember my dreams. <laughs> That's a fatal flaw in his plan. Is like, you know, people don't remember their dreams. That's true. So anyway, they go over the deadfall and they walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. And, there's... and
1: Mr. Munster, he is just spry, he, really, he Yeah,
2: he is. He is. There's There's some pretty crazy noises in the woods there's something that sounds like a dinosaur
1: oh right Um, sound like the lost smoke monster or something
2: fred monster says it's just a loon right (laughs) (laughs) which i don't know what a loon is actually is that a bird yeah okay i don't know i guess for all i know it could be a loon. i don't know what a loon sounds like
0: that's true
2: um so they keep walking and where do they go
1: the micmac indian burial grounds and it's a beautiful spot
2: it's a beautiful spot it's very
1: well designed with the stones and it's up on a mountain is it spooky it's beautiful. I don't think it's spooky.
2: Do you think it's meant to be spooky? I feel like it's meant to be spooky. So we're in problematic territory here. We're in the what I think is, you know, a trope. Or it's not me. I mean, people have written it's about considered this considered an eighties an eighties movie trope or an eighties horror movies trope. You know, the Indian Barrel Ground (IBG) mm-hmm. as it's called. And what this trope is, if you haven't figured it out, is this idea of the the cursed Indian Barrel Ground that pops up mostly movies and I suppose TV shows, books, whatever. Where there's some mysterious evil force or a curse or something that comes up and haunts usually the white family, right? For whatever reason, people you know cite *Paranormal* guys as an example. Although apparently it, that's not in guys.
1: No, it's just it's just a regular burial ground.
2: Right. So I'm not sure how that's the thing, but I thought there was any Barrel Ground guys. So right. who knows?
1: Gets, the Shining?
2: The Shining, for sure. Although the movie, I mean, it's just kind of mentioned <laughs> offhand. I mean, it's not really something you think about. There's a lot of... There's, like
1: there's a lot more going on. There. There's a
2: lot going on in The Shining. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's there for sure. Um, And maybe in the book, maybe it's mentioned more. I don't really remember. And then, you know, yeah, Pet Cemetery and uh, Amity of a Horror for sure. Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, so it's, it's come up. So even back then, I think people maybe they saw this and maybe they roll their eyes. Although... And the movie is just Indian burial ground, and is and yeah, it, the idea I think is that the Indian burial ground itself is not haunted because they're Indians. It's the Indians bury their dead on a haunted ground? Does that make sense? Right, like I they were.
1: They, the, they said. That, I think later they say that the Mi'kmaq... Indians. They stop using it. Yes. Yeah. Realize that.
2: It's yeah. a- oh, everyone's coming back <laughs> to life. <laughs>
0: Something's wrong. Let's <laughs> move.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like they were cursed. It's like it just happened to be a cursed spot. And they were the first people to discover it because the first people to be bothered to bury people there. So that but makes it's sense.
1: It's still a very easy thing to just kind of say, yeah. oh, it's, we don't understand Native Americans. So let's just do that. Yeah.
2: It's interesting. Definitely you know trope. That's kind of gone by the wayside, except now I guess it pops up in a, like satire and stuff. Like, people make fun of it more than they actually use it.
1: Well, so that's what's going to be interesting about the new movie, right? What like they gonna do? Yeah, how? Did, what are they gonna? Although
2: do? they could handle the exact same way, and I would argue it's not really offensive because the Indians themselves—they're just a mechanism for how it was discovered. They're not the people that cursed.
1: I still think it's just think of something else.
2: I think of something else.
1: Yeah,
2: could be like you know, oh, a bunch of pilgrims die here. Hey, <laughs> yeah,
1: blame it on ourselves. I would
2: be offended to it because I'm 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 a pilgrim. I'm the. you would be offended. I'm the ancestor of a pilgrim.
1: And you're very offended?
2: I, I might be. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's the IBG trope in Pet cemetery. As far as the larger trope, there's some really cool articles. And I've stole pretty much all of that from the cool articles. I think there's one that's actually called Why Were Indian Bale Grounds Such a Big Thing in the 80s? Just Google it. That's, this isn't my thinking, in other words. But so what happens, they they get to the Indian Bellground, the IBG, he starts, he, uh, you know, Mr. Monster hands in the shovel and says, you, you have to bury your own. Mm-hmm. Lewis is like, great. Great. So what does he do?
1: He buries Church. They cut to that night. And one of the best lines in it, Judd says, "Now, don't tell them what we did tonight. And Lewis says, what did we do tonight, Judd? What the fuck did we yeah. do, you crazy old man?
2: Yeah. And, this uh, seemed like a long day. Uh, yes. My cat died and then all this other shit happened.
1: And then so the next day... Church does his favorite thing. He jumps um, out. Yeah. His name's Dale, right? The actor? Dale.
2: Dale Midkiff. Yeah. Yes.
1: He does a great, just like, whoa, <laughs> and falls down. And he's like, Church, you son he of a gun. Raises
2: his fist like the honeymooners. <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't seem as surprised. as he. I guess he kind of seems to write off a little bit like, oh, he wasn't really dead. Oh, I buried him alive. Right. There's and that he, suggestion. he clawed
1: himself out.
2: Yeah. 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 So, I could
1: definitely see that.
2: Yeah. I mean, what what else do you do? I mean.
1: We finally learn some more information about the Mi'kmaq burial ground when Judd and Lewis sit down again and have a beer. Judd tells him the story of his own dog, right?
2: Yeah, which looks like it takes place in the fake 1920s or something. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's some, it's kind of a sepia tone thing. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I like it. So
1: he knows that when he buried his dog... He came back evil and he had to put him down again. But I I guess maybe he thought maybe this time it'll work.
2: Yeah. I mean, we think that at first, but then there's this whole other story later.
1: He's just holding that.
2: Yeah. Holding that card down. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's also very frustrating because he brings the kids to the pet cemetery and tells the mom they need to learn about death sometime. And then he just gambles with like, let's see what happens when we bury this cat.
2: But, you know, he also, there's this weird line, which I don't understand right even today, but he says... Yeah, he came back evil. He was, you know, I do not say evil. He just, he kind of looked like he just barked a lot and he looked terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then he says, and then the second time he died peacefully, I buried him. Right. What is that about, peacefully? Like, are, are you suggesting that you put him down? Or do you literally die like, years later peacefully? It's kind of.
1: Oh, yeah, I don't know.
2: Because if he died years later peacefully, maybe he was fine. He just kind of smelled bad. I mean, Church wasn't that bad.
1: No, Church was fine. Like, because I think... Brought him gifts. Yes. One of the next scenes is, like, he finally gets in a bath, which is a pretty hot scene. Yeah,
2: that's... uh, Yeah. yeah. Okay. Things are heating up.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets into the bathtub, and Church throws a dead rat in there, and he's like...
2: Just throws it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He had a like a little bat threw it over the air (laughs) knocked it into the bathtub but that's what cats do I I had a cat named Sunflower was the best huntress ever
0: huntress yes
1: (laughs) she would bring us birds mice squirrels and she'd bring them to us because she loved us
2: imagine her like in a like a a cow and like a bow and arrow behind her back yes Lorena McKinnon playing (laughs) Celtic music
1: so that's kind of odd so all he does is kind of hiss a little bit he's fine he
2: just smells bad I don't know. I guess he does scratch him, like, all the goddamn time. I mean, in the face, too.
1: A lot of cats do that.
2: It's pretty Cassie severe. Cassie does that. Yeah, she doesn't go from her face. She knows better yeah. than that.
1: So oh. I hate to say this, Chris, but what do you think would happen if you married Cassie in the <laughs> M- of her?
2: Two things. She would come back super sweet. Yeah. Because, it's, I mean, I think maybe may be the opposite of how you are. I don't know. I mean, if I had a guess what the operating theory behind the Pet Cemetery is, or the Micmac Burial Ground, or the Forced the Micmac Burial Ground, because, you know, IBG, mm-hmm. uh, it's that you come back just somehow soulless and empty mm-hmm. and operating on some sort of just basic instinct, usually, you know, wanting to kill, I guess.
1: Is Church actually dead? Is he like a zombie cat? We, when Ellie comes back and says that...
2: So I had this dream. Yes.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, so that's another thing that happens. Ellie starts having these dreams that are very vivid. And it's like very specific. Yeah. Like I would be a lot more freaked out. Yeah, she's
2: basically was. reading the pet cemetery screenplay Lips as you're just filming like, it. Oh,
1: silly little Ellie. Yeah. I would be like, hmm, you're gonna stay with your grandparents?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I guess there's also this idea that maybe that Victor Pascal, that rascal, is showing her the visions. Because later she sees him. Yeah,
1: that's right. So he's just
2: trying all kinds of different things to get people to, I don't know, not do what they ultimately end up doing. He's just trying to help. Yeah, I'm not sure what he thinks Ellie's going to do. I mean, she's five. But anyway.
1: How old do you think she is?
2: I mean, no, that's, I mean, eight.
1: So then we cut to poor Missy. Oh, God. My last, last scene with poor Missy.
2: She I- at least explains... More than anything about else in the movie, what her motivations are and what right. she's doing, she writes, "I have cancer. I hate this." <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. I'm, um, I'm out.
2: Yeah. Pains me some.
1: <laughs> and so that that's a pretty um scary scene too. I mean, should we see her like get up on there, put the rope around, drop? That always freaks me out.
2: Yeah. It's very main, very very Stephen King. And then, I like I like the way she just sort of no nonsense goes about it though. I think that's what this, what's the scary thing about it. Yeah. There's very little drama to it. Just seems like, oh, this is how my day ends. <laughs> yeah. Um
1: like, yeah, that is a lot in a lot of movies they do waver back and forth. I'm thinking about like John Locke on lost.
2: yeah, he had the, he had a lot of pop and circumstance.
1: Was, what I thought was ironic was that poor Mr. Creed goes to all this trouble to bury church, to keep Ellie from not having learned about death. And then she still has to go to a fucking funeral like the next day because the maid killed herself. Yeah, fucking
2: Missy. Yeah,
1: but it does actually cause Ellie to start asking mm-hmm. questions. About right. That. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It does cause a big conversation between her and Lewis. Like you said, she's the he's the one who seems to be trying to enlighten her on this sort of thing. And yeah, you know. After not life. to be
2: mean, but do they, they have to even tell her that their maid died? Like mostly.
1: Do they need to go to the funeral? Yeah. Would you go to? Yeah. A maid's. I've never had never had a maid, but if I had a maid for like.
2: If she just stopped showing up, I would just say, "Oh, she quit." Right, I guess it's a small town. You know, she probably hung herself in their basement for a while.
1: Oh my gosh, <laughs> no! Well, and then no one seems to go out of their way to bury poor Missy up there.
2: No, I mean, wouldn't that be great? Like, yes! how would she come back?
1: Oh my gosh, <laughs> she'd have like an iron stomach.
2: Her stomach. Yeah, it would be great. <laughs> yeah. She'd be great shit. Do you need me for Monday? <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, no one really takes. Even though by this point, Mister Creed knows about the pet cemetery and knows its properties. Or the Maitland Barragans' properties, mm-hmm. but no, it does. You know, it doesn't even occur to them.
1: No, not even poor Missy. And this leads to Rachel opening up about arguably the scariest part to most people, I would think, is Zelda. When, when you see it, like as like a kid, like that sticks with me. That stuck with me the
2: most. It's definitely the most psychologically fucked up part of the whole ordeal.
1: Rachel explains that Zelda was her sister who had spinal meningitis. Doesn't matter. We're not doctors. <laughs> But apparently it made her... It
2: looks horrible. <laughs>
1: it looks pretty bad. So she's really, really thin to the point of emaciated. She can't feed herself. She can't do anything. Apparently she's lost her mind. How did uh Lewis put it so eloquently?
2: She's probably clinically insane at that point. <laughs> He's very menisplaining. menace
1: Yes. And then he gives her. He's like, "You're taking a valium tonight," yeah. and she's like, "I'll he take valium." Throws it down her throat. <laughs> and yeah, that that did bother me too.
2: That's why she, she... is afraid, or you know, has such a uh, problem with death because she feels guilt about being happy about when her sister dies. So yeah, it's a pretty it's pretty heavy for. And I would argue that Lewis, at least from this point on, is the more sort of traditionally emotional character, which is interesting, and kind of goes into. My hot take, feminist critique, I'll get into later.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Which
2: you may or may not agree with. Okay. I think you'll agree with it. Okay. Okay. So what happens next?
1: So now we're halfway through the movie. What? Yes. Okay. Can you believe it?
2: It's not a very long movie. No, it's not. Yeah, it's the Movies long. used to be shorter and more efficient.
1: Yeah. And we get to the hardest part. So the family's out for a picnic. For some reason, Judd's there again. Like, who invited him?
2: He's probably across the street and saw them, and they can't just have a picnic and, like...
1: I feel a lot about this scene, because it's my worst nightmare. The way it happens, it makes it more palatable, if that makes sense. Like, chances are that any children that have lost their lives to getting hit by cars is probably more like the kids slipped out of the house, they disappeared, they ran out. It's not dramatic like that, like... Get them, you know, like running, everyone's watching, so it makes it more like a movie, which is what it is. But it's also a thing that does happen, people lose their children all the time. I, I can't even think about that.
2: But it's all, but it's also clear the way it happens, it's not their fault. I mean, they well, they're not really negligence.
1: Uh, I, mean, he drops, what,
2: what, I mean, other than having a picnic besides, beside the side of the road, I think
1: that's part of it too. Like, <laughs> you don't just turn your back when you know the kids walking towards the road the way they film it is it's is very effective
2: yeah it's very heightened you know kind yeah. of stylized
1: i think another thing that makes it more palatable is I, I hate to say this i do but if that little boy got hit by a semi truck there would be no boy left <laughs> and i hate to say that but but because they keep showing like him cradling his body he is that shows that there's still a body it makes it
2: less Better. realistic yes okay
1: like i like i was telling you remember that scene in the rob zombie movie
2: devil's reject yes yeah.
1: there's a pretty cool scene where a guy runs out gets hit by a semi-truck and he just is
2: just evaporates yeah okay
1: it just makes it not as hard to think of like he just got a bump on the head and he did pass away and it was very sad but
2: Yeah, it's a a tough scene. It's even, it's tougher later, actually, in in flashback. They don't really show as much as you think they do in the actual death scene. It's very quick, right? And then they
1: show, well, then they show the poor, bloody shoe.
2: Yeah, they show the shoe. They show them more later, though. They show them actually in the road and, you know, kind of in flashback. Yeah. It's a...
1: But before that, we get our first Ramones.
2: Yes, we get our first Ramones song. A little bit of weird stylistic choices. You know, you get an outsider view, because usually the focus is just on the main characters, and that's it, really. So this is the first sort of outsider character other than, I suppose, Missy. <laughs> right. R.I.P. <laughs> yes, R.I.P. So the trucker that eventually, you know, runs over Port Gage is Langer of Ramones. He's having a great time. I guess he's just kind of trying to show he's not really paying attention maybe and, you know, but not, he's not drunk or anything. Yeah, so. it's... And it's actually unclear, like, what happens to him because the truck, you know, flips over. Yeah. Not really sure how that I happened. I don't
1: think he survived.
2: Yeah. They went no funeral for him, I suppose. No.
1: <laughs> they didn't bury him in Pet cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants that guy back.
2: Yeah. He could be fine. I don't know. I kind of feel, I mean, if he'd lived, he probably feels terrible.
1: Judd's probably should give him some space, right?
2: Well, he knows what he started.
1: Oh, he's hanging around to...
2: Yeah, it's like, is he getting a shovel? Like, what's going on here?
1: <laughs> you just keeping an eye on things. Yeah, just
2: keep an eye on things. So they
1: least. do cut... They do have a funeral.
2: Yeah, they have a funeral. And there's
1: a physical fight between Lewis and... Mr. Uh, father-in-law yeah, who
2: blames Lewis for the kid's death, and I guess that is. It blames Lewis for everything, but especially but this a
1: physical fight. Come on, and so it. it, it it's barely it,
2: staged. It's it's a it's a bad scene. Let's be honest. It it's, doesn't. It's, work.
1: it's not good. Like Laura Palmer's funeral. No,
2: no, that that is what it reminds me of. Yes, and which I got, is a wonderful. Yeah, I did not get excited.
1: Yeah. Um. That's a really mm. tough scene too. When the casket falls and you see his little.
2: Hand. Yeah, that that one part is effective. The rest of it is like just sort of unbelievable and melodramatic.
1: Yeah. And then after the funeral, Judd comes over again. And he's hanging out at the table. And yeah, then and, he decides, and Mr. Hey, Creed's
2: like this fucking guy. Hey, you weren't going <laughs> to. Go to the old cemetery, were you?
1: I don't know where you got that idea, <laughs> but maybe don't do that. Then he tells them the story about how.
2: Yeah, great timing, by the right. way. Yeah.
1: Maybe tell them that earlier.
2: Well, you know, it didn't come up.
1: And so then he tells the story and we see flashbacks of a World War II vet.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, it's gone from the flapper 20s to the. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the World War II generation. So but they like,
1: bury him. He comes back as like a zombie type thing. Yeah, he comes back off.
2: terribly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they and end up
1: having to burn him.
2: The funny thing was, it, 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 there's kind of a suggestion that he, they let him like kind of walk around for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to walk around the town because like they say like finally. There's a local townswoman who's, like, beating your laundry, you know, as you do. And he comes up and, like, you know, growls and hisses. And, and she's like, what are we doing? Like, we got-
1: <laughs> <laughs> like we're trying. We're trying here. Yeah. We, try- we invited him to the dance. <laughs> right. It's just not working out.
2: Right. He's stealing his shitty clothes. he has his funeral clothes. <laughs> so they burn that guy alive. Yeah. And that guy kills his own dad, right. who's trying to save him. It's kind of a sad scene, but it gives Mr. Munster, you know, the knowledge to tell Lewis, like, look, you don't need to be doing this. He's going to come back much worse. I think this is where he says, sometimes dad's better. Yes. He says in his great main accent. Can you do it? I don't, I can't do it. I think you can do it.
1: I just sound like Dolly Parton. You sound
2: like Missy's <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes dad is better. See, I just sound like.
2: Sometimes is better.
1: That's good. That's good? Okay. Yeah. I sound like in, like, Still My nose and they're like, <laughs> she looks like two pigs wrestling under a blanket. So then they all head up to Chicago. Yeah, they're
2: all just leaving. Louis stays again. <laughs> Why are they going to Chicago? Is just... it Christmas? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think they're just going to get away.
2: Yeah. Well, they, yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, so they go away. Louis stays back again the kid at least seems to know something's up she's like crying and says well, she has another dream
1: well, and i like that scene too with rachel again as, as as you're saying like she's she's tough like she's listening to ellie she's not just like you're crazy go back to yeah, bed she's, she's also like...
2: loaded on valium <laughs> <laughs> that's true
1: <laughs> but she's like something's up here something's not right i gotta get back
2: yeah so she's she, like... not just a blithering mess like he is so then yeah. she just
1: decides that she's just gonna fucking planes, trains, automobiles it back home, right? <laughs>
2: right, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah.
1: She's just trying to get back. It's a like comedy
2: of errors. Her getting back to Maine. I, I, guess. I
1: think she ends up getting in a van with a polka band. <laughs> right. Is that what happens? Am I mixing up? <laughs> that movies?
2: might be home alone. Oh
1: right. <laughs> polka polka. Sorry. <laughs>
2: That, but I mean, you say that that whole sequence is weirdly the most comedic sequence in, <laughs> right. in the.
1: Well, she has a ghost? Like yeah, to the her? funny
2: ghost is like trying to help her with all this one-liners, so she can't fucking hear. So <laughs> we're supposed to so, suppose that there's this ghost that's just making these witty bon mots to himself. And but
1: that, another tough scene is Lewis just sneak in and dig up Gage, and he's yeah, it's holding the, him. This a
2: very effective scene. Yeah.
1: But so we already know. All right, he's doing it. What's going to happen? Rachel's trying to get home. Judd fell asleep in his chair. <laughs> he's not really helping.
2: Yeah. Lewis goes to the Mic burial ground and they show a weird ghost face that comes yeah, of the ground. Yeah, it's and
1: Judd's though, right?
2: Is it Judd's? I wasn't sure whose face it was. I
1: thought it was Judd. I, I thought don't maybe know, it was yeah, his own was... face,
2: like kind of a Luke Skywalker thing where he fights Darth Vader in his own face. Yeah. Interesting. You know, horror is kind of even deeper this time, maybe because he's bearing a person. So he definitely buries him and then, you know, he goes back to bed, he falls on the bed and he's passed out. Right.
1: Pretty immediately we see the rocks moving, we know Gage.
2: Yeah. Um, takes no time. Yeah.
1: Gage just books at home, doesn't yeah,
2: he? he? Yeah, he yeah
1: He's only two and a half or so, but he, he, he knows yeah. I don't know, he's pretty little, he's wearing diapers. And he knows how to get back home. We see little his little shadow, his little footprint. It's really cute. <laughs> he is. He's so happy.
0: Yeah.
1: And he goes and goes into his dad's like seventeenth century doctor <laughs> bag that right. he keeps and opens the jewelry box. And takes out the scalpel. His
2: special scalpel that yes. he keeps in his Edward Gorey... <laughs> right. <laughs> it's strange, yeah. But then,
1: for some reason, he doesn't kill his dad right away.
2: No, because I, I think the idea is he wants to play. He
1: wants yeah. to play. He wants to go play with Mr. Judd.
2: So that's all pretty spooky and scary and from this you know point on i guess really from the funeral it's all pretty scary stuff yeah with the exception of the comic relief ghost which just doesn't work for the reasons we talked about we don't know why he's there
1: i think it would have been much more effective if we just saw that rachel was a really strong character she was just trying to get home She did not need help you know she knew what she was doing. She's trying to get home. She knew something wasn't yeah,
2: right. Yeah, kind of, I think my husband's gone crazy. I need to deal with this, that type right. of thing. I guess there's no way she really knows that, but for him telling her that, I don't know. But yeah, either way, it doesn't really work. It's kind of fun, but it's like the rest of the material is so dark and heavy that it's it kind of, maybe, it's, maybe that's the point. Maybe it's supposed to lighten the mood a little bit. With a dead kid coming back from the you know grave. Yeah, and all that.
1: maybe they need something. Uh, so again, as we said, he goes over to play with Judd. Yeah, he and that, goes that, play. That's pretty creepy. Yeah, this is giggling and.
2: Yeah, and I think this is one of the scariest scenes in the movie. Yes. If not the eighties. Well, it's, it's a great kill. <laughs> yeah, it's a good kill. Yeah, yes. It's like uh, you know points. <laughs> so what happens? You know, Judd wakes from his beer coma. <laughs> uh, he hears Gage laughing. It's a pretty creepy laugh. He goes inside. I think he pulls out like a switchblade. Yes,
1: he does. Well, a, We see a ball bouncing because yeah. Gage just wants to play, which, again, makes me happy that at least he came back happy.
2: He's yeah, having a great time. He's going a blast. Judd, having dealt with, you know, the World War II guy, knows, well, he's probably not. This guy's going to be evil. So he pulls out a switchblade. Right. He's ready. He's on ball. He's yeah. like, okay, there's a, you know, he's pretty quickly three things. There's a goddamn kid zombie in my house. Right. He's not going to want, he's going to kill me and I need to deal with it. There's no, like, mystery about it. He's in his bedroom, sneaking around, and, you know, what happens?
1: Well, first, he gets that slice of the Achilles.
2: And it's terrible.
1: Which still is just, it's hard to watch. Yeah. And then Gage just goes full, just, like, <laughs> slicing him up. Slices his face.
2: Yeah, he slices his face. Chews on
1: his neck.
2: Bites into his neck like a vampire and rips his flesh off.
1: He's so happy.
2: Yeah, and yeah, and it's kind of... And Church, kinda, church it's, is just
1: watching. Yeah, it's
2: kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a very scary scene.
1: And so finally, Rachel gets a ride.
2: Yeah, from some trucker yeah. slash the ghost. <laughs> right.
1: But she, yes, so she hears Zelda calling her.
2: Oh, that's right. Which
1: yeah. I guess we're assuming is the evil spirits, whether it's Gage or just whatever evil spirits came back.
2: Yeah, I can't think it's just Gage somehow, but...
1: And so she goes into the house and she follows the voices and we see the attic stairs coming down.
2: Yeah, there's this really uh weird shot uh and also so i guess we kind of forgot this but before she left she had a dream when she was still at her parents house and i guess it was foreshadowing what happens and she has a dream that she's i guess a kid again and and zelda is basically she goes to zelda's room there's also a shot there of the ladder the attic stairs coming down Mm -hmm. and zelda's like i'm gonna get you you let me die blah blah and then she runs with the camera and scares Kristen. yes (laughs) um (laughs) And so this mirrors that dream scene very closely to the point where you're thinking, well, was the dream scene set at this house? Are we now like, in her old house? It's very confusing. Right. Uh, but there's also this weird shot for no apparent reason, because no one's in the fucking attic, that, you know, Zelda or Gage is in their room. Right. But I see the attic stairs coming down in front of her as she, and the camera kind of pans across it. And I guess maybe you're thinking something's coming down, going to jump out from the attic. You're not really sure. But so she opens the door and what does she see?
1: Zelda. Zelda. She's curled up in the corner. It's very disturbing. She's giggling and happy and like running at the, running up at to Rachel and it's just it's very scary.
2: Did you know she's played by a man?
1: Yeah, it's weird. I wonder why.
2: I think they just couldn't find a woman creepy enough. That's what it is. I, th- I think so. I think I read that. Um. I'll, I'll, I, I, all right,
1: I, I, Blumhouse. <laughs> Whatever.
2: That's terrible of not They 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 didn't even look. They, they didn't, didn't look. even look. Yeah, they didn't even look.
1: She repeatedly says. Never get up again. Never get yeah. up again, and she's wearing the same blue velvet yeah. that Gage was buried in. And then, so she can't believe it. She's falling. She's but then she opens her eyes and she sees her her baby. Yeah, in the in the blue velvet that he was buried in with a with a top hat,
2: a top hat and a cane. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. those details I think would give me pause. Denise Crosby completely sells it. You know, she doesn't even pretend to be bothered by any of this you know it's you kind of very much believe that she's so relieved to see your kid
1: i would totally just let my kid kill me for more, one more hug so i feel that like so much
2: yeah yeah there is that suggestion that she may even know that he's evil and she just kind of doesn't care yeah, yeah.
1: i wouldn't care either yeah that'd be i mean that's fine so it cuts from that to uh, Lewis. Yeah, uh, a
2: great, great cut where Lewis. It, like,
1: again, it's just like whoa, whoa, whoa yeah. and he falls out of the bed.
2: Yeah, I mean, Lewis has vertigo or something because he's always you know falling and tipping over and and. Oh, like, he
1: sees Gage's footprints.
2: Yeah, he's like, Gage. ooh, yeah. Then he sees his you know Victorian doctor bag open with all the bone saws and he's right. <laughs> missing. <laughs> Uh, so, he know, he's like, oh, shit, maybe this is bad. Like the, 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 He's like, oh, what did I do? And there's also this idea, like, he's it's like he's waking up from, a, like, a hangover or something. Right. He's kind of the like, old yeah. Lewis again, you know, more stoic. Seems not really crazy anymore, I guess, you know. I guess he kind of got out of a system. So he goes downstairs. Gets a boring phone call from his dad, who's angry. We just talk about it. But he gets a cool phone call from Gage, who says...
1: Come play with me, Daddy. Yes. I, I played with Mommy. Yeah. I play, played with... Mr. Judd right. or whatever. He goes
2: in order. Play with
1: Mr. Muster. <laughs> yeah, right. So come play with me. Yeah. And, and, and then the dad says, like, Judd, what did you, I mean, <laughs> Gage, what did you do? <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I think most people remember just that, that dialogue alone, if nothing else, you know, now I want to play with you. It's, it's very right. cool. And you can't really understand what he's you. saying. Yeah. He says it weird because he's, you know, two and he can't talk yeah. yet. Lewis gives a syringe of, you know, yeah, some...
1: whatever he keeps in his doctor bag. Yeah, I, what did they have uh, back then in the know. 17th century?
2: I don't know. A cat killer. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, so then he just He sees church outside. and He's like, hey, church. Yeah. And he gives him a steak. Why did church have to die? I mean, he's not doing anything. It's sad. So it's sad.
2: It's very and sad. The, they, church they... is doing nothing.
1: Yeah, so he gave a mistake, and he said, it's Thanksgiving Day for cats. And Church is like, first of all, Thanksgiving is over. <laughs> right. Second of and then he says, only cats that have come back from the dead.
2: Yeah, so he's still a little crazy. He's yeah. still a little crazy.
1: Then they really kill that cat.
2: <laughs> yes, on film. Yeah, it's clear. There's no other way they could have filmed what just happened.
1: That looks like a dead cat.
2: Yeah. I don't know how they did it. They, they, Yeah, he, that's a dead cat. Even if they
1: sedated a cat, that seems wrong.
2: Yeah, and he like slams it on the ground.
1: Yeah, I mean, he picks it up, and it's... Anyway, <laughs> Church is gone. And he goes into the house and there's all this weird imagery. Yes. So it's cool. like there's moss and all kinds of decay. It kinda snaps out of it when he picks up Rachel's shoe. Yeah,
2: he touches Rachel's shoe and everything goes back to normal. So you kinda get the idea that the whatever the evil is, that's animated gauge is like in full effect and like doing all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. So he goes up the stairs. Uh, he sees um, the stairs to this attic, but this time they're cut. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to talk about my kind of favorite pet theory, which, you know, maybe or may not be true, but I'm just going to assume it's true. <laughs> it's my Mad Woman, the Attic Theory. So this movie, we acknowledged earlier, is directed by a female director, mm-hmm. and we acknowledge how unique that was, especially for 1989, if not today. I'm assuming because she hung out with Madonna and Janet Jackson. And she was an intelligent human being that she injected her own sort of feelings. And oh, feminist might be the wrong word, but just, you know, humanistic ideas. What about what it's like to be a woman mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, a woman without agency. So there's this idea, and especially in horror fiction or at least gothic fiction, uh, especially like from like 1900 and stuff about this mad woman in the attic. This, right. this woman that's been sort of... Uh, Neutered and kind of cauterized and kind of shut aside because she's crazy and she's sort of unfiltered id and sort of usually the, sort of this bad side of like maybe a, a, another character in the, in the piece. Well, yeah, um,
1: that's exactly what you're describing is what I had thought of earlier is the short story, which I think is from like 1892. I need to look up the person's name, but it's called The Yellow Wallpaper. And it is a really scary version of that. It's about a woman whose husband is a doctor, and he thinks that she's hysterical. And so he locks her up in the upstairs room and slowly locks her in, like, bars, locks the door. And she slowly goes crazy. And it's really, really scary. She starts seeing things in the wallpaper. She starts seeing herself outside of herself. It's really good. You should look it up. It's called The Yellow Wallpaper. Francis Conroy referenced it in American Horror Story Murder House.
2: Yeah, I think that I think that definitely plays into it, and uh, I think I think the phrase actually comes from well, there's a 1970 something uh, book called "The Woman in the Attic," mm-hmm. and I think their their primary examples, uh, Jane Eyre, where there's a character who's literally a madwoman in the attic. Mm-hmm there's a theory that she's actually like a manifestation of Jane Eyre's like doppelganger or she's just a character that's a that mad woman the attic. It's unclear. Right. Um, but so here, I'm not saying that like, you know, Pet Cemetery is about right. <laughs> uh, that. I'm saying that uh, in my mind, this director or mother, other forces are just sort of tipping their hat to that idea. You have a, a female character that's just been dispatched by kind of her mad woman the attic character. Right. Zelda, who's named, I think, after Zelda Fitzgerald. Who's a character who's literally, if not, she's not kept in a little attic, but she might as well be. They always show an attic near or near around her. Right. I don't know why, I, honestly, I don't know why they just didn't film her in an attic. I know, mean, yeah, that's. M- are... Much easier for my theory. <laughs> <laughs> so the attic stairs being cut at that point. So it kind of, you know, Rachel's dead now. Zelda's gone. It, it kind of suggests that, like, that you know, they've sort of, I don't know, that's over. They've dealt with that. Um, I'm not sure what the actual, you know, A to, a to B metaphor is. I can't help but think that it's not some sort of just crazy coincidence.
1: Well, I think maybe I'm reaching too far, but I was thinking when he reaches down and picks up that shoe, it's like a Cinderella moment. Yeah. Cinderella was also locked in the attic. Does that have anything yeah, to do with... Absolutely. <laughs> you're just making me feel good no
2: yeah I and mean, I guess you t- look at that and you look at some of the weird offhand comments of that movie the way Judd for instance treats you know uh, Denise Crosby mm-hmm. Rachel you know like you're women eh you know right. like there's that weird and you know, this is a, there's a woman that directed this film she made these these characters look at each other that way right. I guess it could have been the script I kind of doubt it Right? It seems like a weird offhand moment uh, and then there's also this idea that, you know, Rachel is sort of the dominant force in the second half of the movie yeah. in terms of the one that's thinking the most clearly. She
1: is. She's trying um, to get home. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. She has a purpose.
2: The man is a sort of off kilter emotional wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, you know, and I'm not saying that's something that's usually what a female does is very up her dead son. <laughs> but no, uh, but, you know, the but co- yes. we but get it. For a movie. That's my mad woman the addict theory.
1: Well, and so then we get to the the final confrontation. Yes. So we walk in, we see these broken metaphorical stairs. Mm
2: -hmm. It makes no sense why they'd be broken.
1: Rachel falls from the attic. Yeah. Hanging on a noose, same as Missy.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Gauges at the top laughing. Oh,
2: same as Missy. I didn't really think about that.
1: Because he's having a great time.
2: He's having a blast. I mean.
1: And then he dives down and starts just getting some good legs in him. Yeah, he really does a
2: dive too. He kind of goes like head first. (laughs) I I like the fact that they clearly took a My Buddy, put a blind wig on him, and just threw him down there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which which also is another thing that makes it not as scary. Oh, not as hard to take thinking about a real child. So I wonder in the new movie.
2: I don't know what they're going to do, honestly. I, I, I almost worry that they'll water it down somehow. But then again, movies are pretty scary these days.
1: Yeah, that's true. So we'll see. But then, so they have their final fight.
2: It's Lewis. a great fight. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, you can, my favorite thing about it in a way is that you can tell their limitations because they're, they're working with a two year old. Right. <laughs> so it's shot way around that fact. Right. And like, and there's weird, you know, abstract gestures like knives wiping this way, <laughs> pieces of loose, his chirping ribs, like <laughs> blood splatter. Well, even
1: when they finally, he finally injects Gage. Obviously, the scene is filmed backwards. Yeah,
2: yeah, but it makes it even creepier. Somehow. It is very yeah, creepy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I like. Um, you were talking
2: about the scene where he walks kind of back and yes, falls, falls back against the wall. Yeah, which doesn't make his, it his, his, his head. He You're knocks right. himself, but clearly he really stood up, walked towards the camera. Right. Um, that's what they do in Hollywood. Right.
1: But then, so finally, we think, okay, everything.
2: Everything's fine.
1: Everything is back to normal he can go back to ellie he can be there for his daughter but yeah
2: they never show ellie again actually yeah she's anyway but yeah so i guess we should talk about what happens next
1: well so then he decides to take rachel and bury her and pascal tries one last time like he hasn't done a fucking thing this whole time but he's gonna try and stop stop them one more time he's
2: probably really frustrated by this point he's just
1: like you know what i'm done but so he goes and buries rachel which again bothers me because again jesus this is the third time i've referenced lost is it Yes. We'll leave
2: so, it right yeah. to
1: uh, About to, though. <laughs> but so, uh, so Jin and son finally have a baby, right? They finally have a baby. A son is with the baby for a long time, but then she comes back to try to bring Jin home. You know, they had that scene where Jin gets stuck and she could leave, but she stays with Jin and dies with him.
2: Because she comes back.
1: Yes, but there's no way that either Brian and I would ever die with the other one when we had a chance to get back to our children. Oh, I see. So, but in this case, I mean, Lewis, it's just, he's, he's fucked. I mean, he's gonna get blamed for these murders, right?
2: Yeah, but I think he also does a pretty good job of just being so completely bonkers crazy at this point. Maybe so over- you're right. Yeah.
1: Maybe in the book it's more clear that he yeah. has completely lost it. Uh, oh, his mind, he,
2: in his mind, he might think, you know, I'm bringing my wife back. We're going to be together with Ellie. You know, he, and again, Makes it, sense. in the book, and, and for the fifth fucking time, you know, I'm not going to talk about the book, but I do know that the book, the one of the scariest things about it, and again, this is something that's scarier as you get older because when you're a kid, you don't really register it, is how much sense. And how much you agree with what Lewis does, because you're so in his head. The oh, right. The way right. Stephen King writes is it, like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. You know, like you're just kind of with that character, and you kind of go with him every step of the way. And I, yeah, you know, intellectually these are bad choices, but it makes sense why he, you know, yes. does what he does.
1: But so then he goes and buries Rachel, and then he goes back to wait.
2: This time the Rachel, you know, she gets lightning when, she when we does. Can, yeah when she wakes that's right. up. So because fierce, I guess. Yeah, and
1: he's that's right. <laughs> yeah. And he starts playing solitaire. He does not get very far. He gets about three cards in and she comes back. I noticed also this time that he set an alarm. So like he knew, like she walks in and an alarm goes off.
2: Yeah. I never noticed that. That's interesting. So
1: I I didn't know that there was a time. Yeah. Because it, it seems like he would have been ready for Gage.
2: But yeah. I guess he's, you know, he's got it figured out now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's got this, it's running like clockwork now. <laughs>
2: right.
1: But then she walks in and With she's- my crazy
2: wife coming back. Right
1: she's that, that's pretty good special effects that's pretty creepy
2: yeah she looks eye. great she looks cool and it's
1: not just blood it's like liquid yeah yeah she looks face.
2: much scarier than uh i mean victor pascal looks cool but isn't look like, really scary she looks scary and cool to well me.
1: also pascal keeps saying dumb shit yeah
2: yeah yeah she just says like you know uh, like darling or you yeah know, something like that which i think is maybe what she says like it's like the last word in the book spoiler <laughs> <laughs> And so she, they hug. They, did you I just know,
1: spoil a 1983 book? Yes, I How did. How dare you?
2: So they make out. It is super disgusting. It's, tongue. Kind, yeah, it's kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he's got his vest on. I don't know. He's, uh, I think we should admit we just kind of like Dale Midkiff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she kind of raises this knife and it's kind of like a cool slow motion, like sort of, she doesn't really get like halfway to his neck and then it goes to the cool Ramon song.
1: He starts screaming.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's the part that ruins it. I mean it doesn't ruin it, but it's like I what I think happened was she directed it to where it's just the machete coming to her his neck mm-hmm. and then some producer goes, "Well, you know, we need a scream." It's not really clear what's happening. Right. So that's that's the end of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so my question was, so what happens to Rachel? She's still alive. She's still a zombie. Yeah, I suppose. Does she go on like a murder spree or maybe she just walks out to the road and gets in a truck?
2: Well, I think, I mean, I, I guess what's creepy is she probably calls because they can use the phone. They know how to do that. So she probably, she probably calls Ellie and she, you know, tells her to come home. I want to play with you. Ellie's super excited. Ellie gets on a ticket. No! You don't think so? Oh
0: my gosh. That's that that's is why it's so scary. Sad. It's scary. Well,
2: no, I, I don't. That's not the written. I don't I know. know. <laughs> it's much darker in my ending, I guess.
1: Well, then so what happens to Ellie? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ellie's fine. <laughs> Ellie's fine. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay.
2: I mean, it's not a happy ending. I guess, I guess the happy ending is that Ellie's just not there at all. Like one kid gets to survive.
1: Yeah, I'm sure she'll be fine. Yeah,
2: living with a terrible grandfather.
1: Where's pet cemetery in the pantheon of horror movies in uh, '89.
2: I think it. I mean, it's a, it's in a weird place. I suppose. I mean, it's not. I mean, I think even for that year, that decade, it's not a usual horror movie. I mean, I was looking up the top horror movies from that year, and they're all sequels to you know, Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, which I think I talked about earlier. Yeah, <laughs> How no, I
1: think you said five. That was the one. Oh,
2: okay. Well, damn it that Halloween part five Halloween part four Nightmare on Elm L- L- Street part right. part four that's what they all were I mean right. and it's, I mean to me it don't I love that <laughs> don't get me wrong but you can see where like me like Pet Cemetery it was a little off kilter I mean yeah you had like um Warlock <laughs> <laughs> Hellraiser there's some good there's some good horror movies right. but I, I mean the trend at that time well it was slasher movies and mm-hmm. sequel slasher movies Pet Sematary is weird, you know. Even the movie, I guess, kind of like the book. You know, you could argue it's a little slow. It's more um, thematic and psychological, and you know, these choices that you're sort of confronted with. You know, like what would I do, that type of thing.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, and obviously, you know, the the deaths themselves are just horrific. <laughs> yes. And you know, it's fairly well done. You know, it's definitely dated, as we've you know made fun of a lot of it. There's Misty, who's <laughs> who stands out. You know, the first forty minutes or so are kind of rocky. But um, I think you know. It, I think it definitely holds up. I think we most still pe- love it. Yes, we love it. I, I mean, I love it so much. But I think most people, will at least admit, it's kind of at least a classic of that time.
0: Hello
1: there, I'm Missy. Missy's Main Cleaning service. That's my company. Main spelled like the state. Now, are you right out, straight round the house? Is your husband out working? Now, me, I never had no husband. Had to do everything on my own, but. Oh, sorry. My stomach. It pains me some. But don't worry. Won't stop me from getting those sheets of y'all's clean. I can prom. Excuse me. Hello? Hi, Missy. Oh, hello, Gage. You little cutter.
0: Missy, come and play with me.
1: I uh be right over just down the road a piece. I've got to go, but uh so you need help, you give old Missy a call.
2: Missy's main cleaning service, now under new management.
1: So now it's time for our true crime portion of the podcast.
2: Okay. And I I can't imagine what could possibly be true about this, but go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, this is something that I have always kind of thought about. Well, once I learned about this case, I immediately thought of Zelda. Ooh. Yes. We love Zelda. Yes. And so, of course, we remember that Zelda is Rachel's sister. Right. We have flashbacks of her. She had spinal meningitis, which we discussed. I'm not sure how that works.
2: Well, she's the mad woman in the attic.
1: Right. How this ties in is a case of a woman named... Blanche Monnier. So I got a lot of this information. I remember I've read things about her before, and then I got some information from uh, allthatisinteresting.com by an article named Gina DeMiro. She wrote a good article. Also on Ranker, there's a good, you know, Ranker is the best. Yeah, I like Ranker. Best time ra- waster there is. <laughs> Blanche was born in 1849, and she was a French socialite from an uppity aristocrat family. In May. In 48... <laughs> no. In Poitiers, France, doesn't that sound nice?
0: Yeah.
1: Like, if you're gonna have to live in the 1800s, right? You want to be a socialite. A
2: socialite. I can't imagine without. Well, no, I guess I can. So, I mean, I imagine socialites is more like just like influencers and.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're rich. Yeah. You don't have to be downstairs making the pies or whatever they eat.
2: Yeah. She's not Missy. That's what we're saying. Yes. Right. She's Rachel. Right.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, wait. She's Zelda. I'm so confused but she she grew up to be a beautiful woman. There's pictures of her online. She's just she's gorgeous. Just flawless skin. Like
2: actual photos? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: Yes. Um she was described by uh neighbors as very gentle and good-natured. But then in 1876 at the age of 25 she vanished.
2: Vanished from where? From society? Yeah. Crazy. She
1: vanished. And by the by the way, Poitiers is uh is pretty close to Paris. So yeah. This is a pretty fancy, upper-class family.
2: So when you say she vanished, you mean like the family's like, we don't know where she is? Or you mean like people just stopped seeing her?
1: Her mother and her brother were the ones that she was living with. And they just, they kind of told neighbors, they told some neighbors that she just moved away.
2: Oh, okay. So they weren't like...
1: They weren't very clear. They 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 mourned her. What? Yeah. But they didn't say she died. So it's just, it was very unclear. But, you know, they just kind of kept to themselves. Yeah. didn't press the issue and then her mother and her brother just went on with their lives and but then in 1901 the eternal general of paris received an anonymous letter
2: what a t- attorney general <laughs>
1: i don't know that's what they said i guess it was a attorney general I'm
2: imagining jeff sessions <laughs> go ahead
1: so the letter read this is in english yeah. i'm sure they wrote it in french probably okay you think
2: I, well, why am i looking
0: oh <laughs>
1: oh so uh Monsieur attorney general that doesn't sound right does it no i have the honor to inform you of an exceptionally serious occurrence i speak of a spinster who was locked up in Man- madame Monier's house spinster mm-hmm. half starved and living on a putrid litter for the past 25 years in a word in her own filth
2: that's the real letter.
1: Yeah, and you can actually see pictures of that, too. Crazy. And he oh, called her a again, spinster. Again, it's written in French, so who knows what it actually says, right? There's no way to know.
2: <laughs> That's the lost language. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so, but the police did go and investigate, which was interesting. Like, I wonder, it seems like back then, especially with them being socialites, they they wouldn't be able to just bust in. But Absolutely, maybe, yeah. But they, they went in and investigated, and they found a door that was padlocked shut with aberrant, like, uh, is that the right word?
2: Oh, I don't know ab- what you're modifying. A- Abhorrent? Ab- ab- oh, well, what do you mean? Abhorrent or aberrant? There's two words.
1: Oh, terrible.
2: Abhorrent, yeah.
1: Terrible smells.
2: Abhorrent, okay, yeah.
1: Coming from... They could be the aberrant.
2: Door. Aberrant would just mean they're unusual smells. Abhorrent would mean they're terrible smells. Both. Both. Okay.
1: Okay.
2: Either way, you're right.
1: All right. Um. So they knock the door down.
2: In this socialite setting. Yeah. Be frowned upon. But
1: I, I don't know where her dad was. I, I, I didn't find any information about that. Like where the... Man of the house was besides her brother but but anyway, so they they knocked the door down and they found a pitch black room and so they had to open a curtain, and what they found was an emaciated woman chained to the bed, oh my God, this turned out to be blanche, right? She had not seen daylight in twenty five years,
2: so she's what like fifty,
1: yes, okay, she was in her own filth food scraps like rats, bugs, ah. She weighed only 55 pounds. She couldn't speak and was, as Lewis said, about Zelda,
2: probably clinically insane. Yes, man's
1: Right. So, and this is a quote from one of the uh, policemen or someone who went into the room the first time, and he says, "As soon as light entered the room, we noticed in the back, lying on a bed, her head and body covered by a repulsively filthy blanket, a woman identified as Mademoiselle Blanche Monnier." The unfortunate woman was lying completely naked on a rotten straw mattress. All around her was formed a sort of crust made from excrement, fragments of meat, vegetables, fish, and rotten bread.
2: Fish? That's <laughs> more terrifying.
1: Yeah. If you just left one fish in there, I'd be enough. Yeah,
2: just why even compounding it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the air was so unbreathable, the odor given off by the room was so rank that it was impossible for us to stay any longer to proceed with our investigation. And also, there's, I mean, she had um, apparently written all over the walls, like, phrases about being freed. So, like, Liberté, like, Liberté, Liberté, written up on the walls. Yeah. And so, immediately, her mother and her brother were arrested, thank goodness. They didn't have some dad judge to get them out of it or anything. They were arrested. Because of everything that her mother went through, she died 15 days later of heart failure. She was the one who kept her locked up. Oh. The brother um, was complicit. But didn't stop it. Okay. There There's also servants that were there. And then later it came out that some neighbors did hear like sounds and screams coming. And they thought maybe it was blanche. But back then, like you said, it was just the woman, the crazy woman in the attic, that, that they had the authority to lock up someone.
2: So uh, what reason did they give for locking her up, if any?
1: Oh, so the reason that her mother locked her up for 25 years was because she wanted to marry someone she did not approve of. Oh. It was a penniless lawyer who was older than her, who she fell in love with. And her mother gave her the ultimatum. She could either marry him or she'd lock her away in an attic. And Blanche, I mean, she seems like a pretty uh, tough chick. She was like, no, I'm going to marry him. And so she locked her up. And uh, even a year later, I think the the man passed away. But still, her mom wouldn't let her out. One of the most evil people you could ever think of.
2: Yeah, that is... um. So, and these were all rich socialites.
1: Yes. And, uh, oh, and then her, her mother's last words were, oh, my poor Blanche, before she definitely went to hell. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. And then also, um, and then her brother was only given 15 months, because apparently back then there was no law about being complicit in the crime. But he seemed to, I, I read some places that he seemed to kind of lose his mind, too he didn't fare well from this whole thing too there was mobs this was a huge story in Paris the brother had family too and the family had to go and hide because people were so upset usually what happens like when you see those in like movies and um, TV you see the rich socialite fall in love with the penniless guy and they either run away together or there's usually some tragedy
2: yeah that didn't happen this time
1: I mean it's still a tragedy oh yeah but it's just like this was real and all on that the poor woman. Um, she didn't even make it to like fuck him in a car <laughs> before the Titanic sank or anything, you know. Nope. But Blanche had essentially lost her mind. I, even I, if you were to uh, endure two years of that, it'd be hard to come back from that. No, so. and especially
2: if they're like throwing food at her and making making her own waste. I mean, it's yeah. disgusting. Why it's, would they even want that?
1: I mean, that's. Mm. The power that her mother needed or something? I don't even know how to describe that psychology of that. It's just... And, and your own daughter, too.
2: Well, I want to read all about that.
1: Uh, so she was sent to a psychiatric ward, which in 1901, I'm sure, it was just... You, you
2: said 1901? 1901. Yeah. But she was still alive, so there's something.
1: I mean, she lived for uh, about 12 more Half years. Happily ever after. <laughs> she died at the age of 63.
2: Okay. And so she probably relearned... really try to make... Well, she probably, you know, readjusted and, like, was talking. Uh, No? No,
1: I don't think she ever really readjusted. Oh, I see. She was put in a mental asylum in 1901. Yeah,
2: at first. And then she, you know, they helped her (laughs) and then released her. Oh, God. Did she get married?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So there are other, not to bring it down more, but there are other horrible cases. um... (laughs)
2: Tell me all about them. (laughs) Others, girls, uh, other Zeldas, yeah.
1: Girls, well, and then, so it's not an exact, like, but they did, I the thing that stuck out was that Rachel, in the movie, referred to her sister as a dirty secret. It was something that they did keep yeah. separate, they kept um, pushed away, which is interesting when you see Rachel's parents later. I know. And they're I'm, just, like, happy-go-lucky, just, like... Yeah,
2: and also, and there's this other idea about, you know, the dad is strangely, like, a huge asshole for no apparent reason, so, like... Maybe there's something to it. Like, maybe she wasn't even that fucking sick. That's
1: what I was wondering. Yeah.
2: Maybe but, there, there's something else. There. There's all these weird paintings, too, that suggest kind of uh, some sort of malevolent sort of... Whenever they show that house, it just looks super evil. You know, like, you yeah. know, it doesn't look like a happy place.
1: There's no pictures of Zelda on the wall. No,
2: there's no pictures of Zelda. And
1: um, I... I, I, I would kind
2: to... of accept her story at face value, although she was admittedly a child. yeah. Um, I guess you would maybe remember the fact that she's a hunched over creature. But maybe that's because she, they locked her up there. Maybe yeah. she was trying to get married to like a hot 16 year old kid or something. I
1: was thinking that too. And she's a lot older, it seems. Yeah. Been. So what happened?
2: Justice for Zelda.
1: But so some of the other. Um, so, of course, I'm sure you've heard of Elizabeth Frizzle. No. This all came to life. Well, oh,
2: that's how you've seen I've heard of all these people. Well, this was
1: huge. She, she was released in 2008. Oh, Joseph Frizzle. Does that sound familiar? No. Frizzle.
2: Like when you say huge, where, like on TV? Everywhere. Oh, Joseph Fritzel. So Joseph
1: Fritzel, is it Fritzel?
2: I don't. I've never heard of him.
1: Okay, well, so <laughs> he kept his daughter Elizabeth held captive for twenty four years. He repeatedly raped her. She gave birth to five of his children. What? Does this sound familiar? No,
2: kind of blocked it out.
1: So it's it's basically it's very similar to the movie Room. Yeah. A hundred times worse because one, because it was her father, two, because it was for 24 years and not for nine years or whatever. But it's very similar in that if you haven't seen Room, I don't know if you want to stop this.
2: I love I love Room.
1: I do too. But just in case you don't want to know what happened. I mean, you know, they get out. You, you see that in the trailer, right? Do you? <laughs> well. but Room kind of, is also several very,
2: years old. You should have seen it by now.
1: But it's very similar in that uh, with uh, the Frizzle case, one of the kids got sick and she convinced her dad to take him to the hospital oh. take the daughter to the hospital and things started to unravel from there and then luckily they figured it out and in 2008
2: I guess this kind of sound, it it all sounds kind
1: of out. familiar yeah yeah and, uh, okay yeah, yeah. But then, and there's also another um, case of Susan Wiley who was known as Jeannie her parents kept her locked up she was discovered in 1970 I don't know if it's just like this power trip they have I mean, I just can't imagine...
2: Well, it could be they're under severe psychosis as well. Like, this mother in the Blanche story, maybe she thought she was actually helping... I kind of doubt it. she sounds like a horrible bitch. But yeah. well, what's creepy is, like, you know, right now, you know, maybe somewhere in this neighborhood there's someone being chained in a... I know. Maybe, you know, so maybe Stephen King uh, read about that. And
1: I always... I, I, like, I, I never saw anything about that.
2: I've never read where he got any of that from. Well, um,
1: let's cheers to Blanche.
2: Blanche and Zelda.
1: And Zelda and Rachel... And Mary Lambert and, and Missy. Missy,
2: yes, justice for One Missy. One more.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, so that concludes our first episode.
2: It does. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Next time, do we want to talk about what we're doing next time? Or have we really figured it out yet?
1: We'll, well, I mean, we know
2: what we're recording next. I guess we could say that.
1: No, we'll let them know. surprised. oh, be surprise. oh
2: ooh, okay. That was. But
1: great. we we want you to reach out to us. We want you to see if you can think of a movie that I can't tie a true crime to.
2: Oh, she can. <laughs> Um, I've seen her notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> tell us your stories of your first horror movie experience or the first thing that scared you.
2: Or just terrible things that happened to you. <laughs>
1: yeah. Anything you want to tell us. Tell Weird. Chris what the fuck the Toilet Monster movie is. <laughs> if you can think of it.
2: Yeah, we, have, we don't have access to Google or anything. <laughs> we're I, I, we're imagine, I think if you Google Toilet Monster, it's probably not going to show up.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Um, Or whatever.
2: What are the other bullshit she's talking about earlier?
1: But so where you can find us is on Twitter at Sometimes Dead Four on Instagram at at Sometimes Dead Podcast or email us at Sometimes Dead Podcast dot oh wait no Sometimes Dead Podcast at Gmail dot com or just uh, Chris's address is (laughs) (laughs) I am pretty lonely. But please reach out to us.
2: Yeah, If, if nothing else, let us know uh, what you thought of the podcast and what we can do differently or if we're just perfect. That'd be good, too.
1: Yeah. And we're also open to suggestion a tiny bit.
2: Yeah. Not not really. Calm down. Yeah. I mean, All right. yeah, this is our fucking podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.
2: Good night. <laughs>